Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. So for those of you who haven't met, good morning. My name is Albie Powers. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new or this is your first time, I'd love to, uh, I'd like to welcome you. I'd like to say hello to everyone watching online. And uh, if you are, could you just drop in a hello? Because then I'd love to go back and see who's actually doing it because I can't, can't see you in here. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, so just, just by a show of hands, how many of you grew up in this area? Like you, like you have child, you know, your childhood happened in this area. A, a few of you? Not, not as many as I thought, but a few, a few of you. Um, I did. And one interesting thing about living in the area that you grew up in is just kind of the random memories that come back to you, whether you're driving by a familiar spot or you hear like a sound that triggers a memory or, uh, you know, a, a smell and then some, and a memory comes, comes rushing back. Uh, for those of you who didn't grow up in this, in this area, when you go back to your hometowns, have you ever had that experience? You kind of go back to the place you grew up and like you, you go by someplace familiar and boom, like a memory from you hadn't thought about for 20 years comes, comes rushing back to you. Uh, because I live in this area, there's, there's one spot in town that I drive by often that triggers one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. So luckily, I drive by it all the time. And that spot is the entrance to the Keene High soccer and field hockey fields on Arch Street in Keene. Uh, the year was 1999. I was a junior in high school. It was a beautiful fall day. The air was crisp. I had no idea it was about to happen. Me and three of my friends, we went to go watch the girls' varsity uh, soccer game. We parked in the parking lot that is now Crossway Church. Didn't used to be Crossway Church at that time. Um, so what you used to do is you'd park there, and there wasn't the difference between now and 1999, uh, when I was uh, a junior in high school, which sounds, wow, I'm getting old, uh, was that there, now there's an entrance where you can just kind of walk right in. Before, there wasn't. And there was like an eight-foot fence that you would just hop. And if not, you just, the, the entrance to get in, you had to kind of walk all the way around the field. So usually we'd park there and, and hop over. And so there were four of us, started off like you would expect. All three of my friends, they climbed up, hopped over the fence. I'm the last one to hop over, and then it happens. Somehow, to this day, I still don't know how, on the way down over the fence, my coat and my belt get stuck like on the top of the fence. So as I go over, I don't make it down, and I'm just hanging like this with my feet like two feet off the ground, my friends doing nothing to help. My pants are hiked way up. This is not a good scene. Um, But let me just paint the picture a little bit more for you. As I'm hanging there to my left, the girls' uh, varsity field hockey team is having a scrimmage. There may or may not have been someone that was in one of my classes I had a crush on that was right in that area. Uh, over here was the soccer game where they were having a playoff game. So there was at least 200 people in the stands. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, this is not good. And my friends are useless. I'm dangling from the fence. And then it happens. I hear someone yell from the stands and go, hey, look, I'll be stuck on the fence. 
And it was like a scene out of a movie where everything goes into slow motion and like everybody is pointing and laughing at you. And they left me up there for at least a solid minute plus. Uh, So driving down Art Street, always good times. Uh, But did you know that, so memories come back to us, but actually the most powerful memories are triggered not by sight or by sound, but by smell. So because of the way that God has wired our brains, memories that are triggered by scent are experienced uh, much more powerful and emotional than other types of, of memories. And so this is why a familiar but long forgotten scent can like sometimes even bring you to tears. Uh, whether you, 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 you get a whiff of just whatever and it brings you back to a time and just the way our brains are wired, that can be just a very strong emotional response. Maybe something like that hasn't brought you to tears before, but it's brought you back and you, and you, and you remembered stuff. Uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to tell the story of Easter from the perspective or through the, perspe- through the eyes of the Apostle Peter. Because there are lots of little details, little memories that are embedded all within the four gospel accounts that had to have come from Peter. You read it and you're thinking only Peter could have, to- could have told those details. And uh, this is a story that's both filled with despair and hope. And it's a powerful story of how Jesus can change our stories. So Peter... For those of you who are familiar with the biblical character Peter, he was bold, brash, impulsive, emotional. You know, one minute he has enough faith where he sees Jesus walking on the water or he gets out of the boat. He's like, I want to do that too. And the next minute Jesus is rebuking him for saying something uh, ridiculous. And so on the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed, at the end of the Last Supper, he, he was prepping, he'd been telling his disciples about what was going to happen that they were going to scatter and fall away and someone was going to betray him. And Peter, you know, always bold, always confident, was just like, ain't going to happen with me. Like, I, I, never. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks at him and goes, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. So as the night begins to play out, begins to play out just like Jesus said, There's a scene in the garden where Jesus is arrested and Peter, I think, trying to prove that he really would be willing to die for Jesus. As as someone goes to take him, he pulls out a sword and hacks off the ear of of, of the high priest's servant. And, uh, you know, Jesus says, Peter, Peter, I got this. Heals, Heals the man and goes off with the guards. And from there, the scene shifts to the courtyard of the high priest. So Peter has some connections and he manages to get into the compound And he's there watching the sham of a trial unfold. And so it was a a cold night, the the scriptures tell us. And so what happened was someone lit a charcoal fire. They lit a fire and it's a bunch of kind of mismatched people huddled around the fire, just sort of watching what's going on. You have some soldiers, you have some servants, and you have Peter. And uh, at one point, one of them, a, a servant girl, probably a teenage girl, looks at Peter and says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denies it quickly. He's like, no, I'm not. But then someone else then says to him, like, no, you, you've got to be one of his disciples. Your Galilean accent gives you away. It would be like, you know, running to someone from the south like, who's being like, I don't know what y'all are talking about, but I'm not from the south. It's like, yes, you are. And all the real southern accents, I'm sorry, I butchered that. <laughs> and then I've always found this, this next detail pretty funny. So someone who is a relative of the guy who Peter cut his ear off goes, 
didn't I just see you in the garden? And this is a little of my imagination going, but I remember kind of going like, do you remember that whole incident about an hour ago? You cut my cousin's ear off. Like you were definitely there. You are one of his disciples. And what Peter does in the strongest possible terms, he denies Jesus and he basically says, may I be damned if I know that man. That's how strong his language is in his third denial of Jesus. But right after he says it, the rooster crows and Jesus looks over and him and Peter make eye contact. And Peter leaves the courtyard weeping. So not only did Peter deny and betray Jesus three times, he did it with an earshot of him. Do any of you have a moment, like things you've said or done that you would give the world to take back or do over? Probably, probably five things are popping in your head of, of these things of like, man, I would do anything to be able to take that back. Can you imagine the feelings of failure and shame Peter would have had in that moment? He just denied his best friend, his rabbi, the Messiah, right in front of him three times. I mean, at his moment of greater need, how, how could you possibly recover from that? So I want to pick up the text at the end of John 20. So this is uh, John, John 20, and luckily for Peter and for us, his failure was not the end of his story. Luckily for Peter, this was not the end. And so the passage I'm going to read, it comes um, in the story. This is, this is after Jesus has risen. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus has risen. Um, it's Easter, so I'm hoping that we all know that. That's what we're celebrating. So this is after that has happened. Jesus has already appeared to the disciples a couple of times. And this is, what is, this is what's recorded in John chapter 20, 30 and 31. This is what it says. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life by the power of his name. Now that sounds like it would be a very powerful way to end your story about Jesus. Like doesn't that doesn't that look like a great like ending? Wraps it all up, tells tells everyone what this book was about. But it's not. John adds one more story. And I am so glad that he does. He adds he adds one more story because it's a story that reveals the love and compassion that Jesus has for people like you and me. That this final story was inspired for us, was written down because there's something in it that God wants you to know about who he is and who you are and how he responds to us when we blow it, when we fall short, when we do the thing we promised that we would never do. And the beautiful part about chapter 21 of John is that the cross offers us not just forgiveness, but restoration. The cross offers us forgive, more than just forgiveness. It offers us restoration. So there's a, there's a scene change from 20 to 21. The disciples are now up by the Sea of Galilee, which is where they all grew up. It's in northern Israel. It's 90 miles from Jerusalem. So these two incidents are pretty far apart. I mean, picture the difference between here and Boston. And there's no cars. 
So it, it, would, it would have taken them a while to, to, get, to get back up there. And this is how John 21 starts, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, just talk to the story. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several other disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went in a boat, and they caught nothing all night. What's really interesting is, when you read the scriptures and you slow down, the authors are telling the story not just by what they say, but how they arrange these stories. That is also how these stories are told. And so, the disciples, a lot of them were commercial fishermen. And before they, before they met Jesus and decided to follow Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. But from the moment Jesus called him, there are no other scenes where he is back commercial fishing the way he was before Jesus had called him. When, he, when, when Jesus said, come and follow me, he left that life behind. But now, after a time of failure, what do we find him doing? Going back to what he knew. And I think what John is trying to tell us here by the way the story is arranged is that even though Jesus had risen, Peter, I'm sure, was, was, was ecstatic, he probably thought that Jesus was done using him because he had blown it so bad. Because again, there's a difference between just forgiveness and restoration. He, he went back to fishing probably because he thought, well, I can't be a disciple anymore. I've, 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 I've blown it. I've blown it too much. So after a night of failure, of catching nothing, a familiar scene starts to play itself out. And this is, what it's, this is what it says. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out, hey, fellas, you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And I, I still don't know why they actually listened and did this. I mean, these are commercial fishermen. This is their job. They just had eight hours plus of fishing all night, catching nothing. And they don't know it's Jesus at this point. And some random guy on the beach is like, hey, did you try that side? Your problem is you're fishing here. They're all on the other side of your boat. For whatever reason, they throw the net. It fills up with fish. Very familiar scene starting to emerge. This was the same scene when Jesus called Peter. A night of fruitless fishing, a miracle of catch. And John goes, it's the Lord. And impulsive Peter gets so excited he does everything backwards. He puts his coat on and then jumps into the water and swims ashore. Like I just see him like all the extra weight of the soggy coat by the time he gets there, like <sighs> but that's just Peter. He's so ecstatic and he gets on to land and this is what happens. So the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for they're only about 100 yards from, from the shore. It's pretty funny. The way the story is told, it's almost like the people in the boat and Peter get there at the same time. Like, he jumps in, he's swimming, and they're just like, uh, all right, man, you could have done this a different way. Um, he gets to the shore, and it says, when they got there, they find breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. And when Peter saw Jesus and the fire, I think it, it stopped him dead in his tracks. And here's why. The only other time in the entire New Testament that phrase charcoal fire is used was only a, only a couple chapters before. Can you guess what it was? It was when Peter denied Jesus three times around a fire. 
this is the only time these, these, this word is used, and it's used in a couple chapters, so it's in, intentional. Jesus, I mean, Peter denies Jesus around a fire. Then Jesus has this encounter with Peter around a charcoal fire. And remember what I said in the beginning about smells and memory? I wonder how many times between the time that Peter betrayed Jesus around that fire that he caught a whiff of smoke, that he heard the crackle of a fire and he was brought right back to that moment of, his, of basically the biggest failure of his life. I bet it happened dozens of times between, between these two accounts. And I wonder if this is what Peter was thinking when he got ashore. Not a fire. Anything but a fire. Because every time I hear the crackling of the wood and I smell the smoke, I am transported right back to the moment that defines me, the moment of my biggest failure, the moment I will never be able to atone for. Oh, why? Why did he have to make a fire? And as they sat and ate breakfast, I wonder if Peter avoided making eye contact with Jesus. But I am so thankful for what Jesus does next. Because not only does he not ignore the elephant in the room, he reveals his heart for those of us who blow it, those of us who have regrets, and those of us who think God can't possibly use us because of our past. As I said, this scene has been a recreation of Peter's call. And now we're going to see Jesus recommissioning him. We have a night of fruitless fishing, the command by Jesus to throw the net over, and a miraculous catch of fish. And none of that would have been lost on Peter. And now, as Jesus and Peter are sitting by a fire, the sounds and smells all reminiscent of the night of Peter's betrayal, listen to what Jesus says to Peter on the beach. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asks him. I wonder if Peter's going, don't ask me a third time. Don't ask me again. I know what you're doing. It's going to be too painful. Don't ask me a third time. And this is what Jesus said. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus met Peter at the site of his original call, reminded him of his total failure, and then fully restored him. Peter wasn't just forgiven in this moment. He was restored. This was Jesus telling Peter, I'm not done with you. And the defining moment of Peter's life, it was no longer his, fire, his failure on a fire. Now, every time that Peter heard the crackle of fire, and smelt a whiff of smoke, it was no longer the soundtrack of his failure, it was a song of his redemption. Every time he now heard a fire, 
every time he now smelled a whiff of that smoke, it no longer reminded him of his failure. It reminded him of his redemption and his restoration. And what a beautiful gift that Jesus gave Peter in that moment. And Jesus was not done with Peter because God's grace is greater than our failures. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross is greater than our sin. Because God is the God of second chances. Because the resurrection changes everything. Jesus was not done writing Peter's story. And he's not done writing yours either. 2031 the, th- the verse that could have been the ending says this again, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you believe that? Because if you do, the defining, of, the defining moments of your life are not your failures, but God's faithfulness. Jesus restored Peter on the beach before he did anything for him. Peter had no time to prove to Jesus that he was really sorry. He restored him and then commissioned him because that's how the gospel works. The good news of Jesus is not try really hard to show God that you're sorry enough and you're worthy of forgiveness. It's no, Jesus has paid it all. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Therefore, salvation through Jesus is a gift to be received, not something to be earned. And I'm so glad, though, that we see Jesus here not just forgiving Peter, but restoring him. Because your, your failures, your background, all of those stuff, when you bring them to Jesus and give them over to him, again, that can be not the, not the sound of your failure, but the soundtrack of your redemption. Because Jesus is in the business of changing your story. That's just how God, that's just how grace works. And really the greatest thing you could ever do is follow Jesus with everything you've got. And if you're here this morning and something about the story is resonating and it's, and it's true and you're finding yourself believing that you know what? Jesus is who he says he is. On Easter, we celebrate that he has risen from the dead. That changes everything. I'm gonna say a prayer there's nothing magical about, about this prayer, but what, what, what a prayer of, of salvation or a prayer of faith and repentance often does is just puts to words what you already find yourselves believing. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. And if you would like to say, I want this salvation, Jesus, you have on offer, I'm gonna invite you quietly yourself to just pray. It doesn't have to be the exact same words, but pray after me if you find yourself believing this stuff, believing this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that there's nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my helplessness and my my inability to forgive my own sin. So at this moment, at this moment, I trust you, Jesus, alone is the one who paid for my sins when he died on the cross. Right now, I put all my trust in you. I want to follow you as your disciple. Please save me, God, my only hope for salvation. Amen. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's not you. you are fo- you've been a follower of Jesus. You grew up in church. But honestly, if you're honest, like, you know what? I've, I've really fallen away. Like, I believe in him, but I haven't, I haven't, follow- I haven't been following him. 
thing is Jesus does not want you to, Jesus does not want, does just not want to be an abstract idea. He wants to be the one in whom you have a living relationship with because he has abundant life on offer and he says, come and experience it. So the question I want to leave you all with this morning is, what do you feel like God is saying to you this morning through his word and through the story of Peter? What, what is God saying? And the reason why we sing after a message is it gives you a time to like process and respond. So even during the next two songs, take some time to process and respond. What is God saying, you, saying to you through his word? Because it's such good news that we don't have to be defined by our failures. Because of Jesus, our memories of failure and regret can become a reminder of God's grace. And also, it's campfire season. So I hope all summer, and more than all summer, that every time you're sitting around a campfire and you smell the smoke and you hear the crackle of a fire, it's not just going to be a fire. What it's going to do, it's going to remind you of Peter's restoration. It's going to remind you of your own restoration. And it's going to give you a great segue to tell someone about Jesus. So how good is that, huh? God is the God of second chances. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.